Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Here at the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their passion. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and we have a fantastic guest for you today. I'm really excited to bring him back. You guys have heard him before at our mentor forums. We've actually uh, put those on some previous podcasts. So if you haven't listened to those, please be sure to tune in, check those out, and then hop on this one because now I actually get to have a one-on-one conversation with our guest, Mr. Mark Green. Mark, welcome. Thank you for agreeing to do this and uh, thank you for kind of taking the time to speak to some of that uh, next generation coming back. Thank you, Evan. Looking forward to it. And it's always fun to uh, try to share what knowledge you have and your experience, especially for those who uh, are coming up and uh, are willing to learn and listen. Well, one thing I do want to ch- touch base with you, I believe it was, it's, it's been close to six to eight months since you actually talked to the group. So let's go ahead and kind of check in. How, how are things going? What have you been up to since then? Well, I've had three grandbabies since then. So wow, congratulations. We, we had a busy summer. We had five, four grandchildren, and I say we, we're not adding now. We're multiplying. So I have uh, one daughter and two daughter-in-laws. They're all pregnant together. So this summer, within 109 days, we had three more grandchildren. So on wow. the family side, that. And then the Every Tribe, Every Nation, my passion to eradicate Bible poverty has kept me very busy on the professional side, just coordinating, working with, and trying to make sure that every heart language on planet Earth, there's about 7,000 of those, uh, has a scripture in their heart language. So that, 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 those, between those two, uh, that keeps me kind of busy. Well, I appreciate you doing that. I'm glad that somebody's chipping away at that. I, I remember when we were, uh, I think it was doing the question and answer, you were talking about um, God's ROI and how that really impacted you. And that, that was really a cool story for me because you know, as you were talking about that, as you were kind of going through that whole thing, I, w- I, I got trapped in the same mentality you did. It was like, wow, I'm looking at all the stuff that had to happen for <laughs> what, 300 people, I think it was. And, and it's just you sit there and you go, you know, we're, we're not on the same uh, thought process as God. And it's really cool to kind of get that revelation, especially, you know, from somebody like you, who's you know, probably really dialed into ROI and, and everything as it comes to running a business. God's business is in a, in a completely different realm. Yeah, and we think eternity, that's a long time. So if you want a return on investment that's a good 5,000 years from now, <laughs> most, any, most everything I've invested in is not going to do well 5,000 years from now, you know. But souls are, and so, you know, our family mission statement is to love God intimately, live extravagant generosity. So, yeah, when I saw Gaspar weeping to get a Bible that he'd waited 40 years for to be translated as hard language, you know, it just really impacted me that uh, I... You know, when I th- and I've thought about this quite a bit. How do you get intimate with the Lord? And probably, I mean, there's, lot, there's several ways you can, but the most important one to me has been the Bible. So if you, if you took the Bible out of my life, I never had it, I couldn't read it, wow, what would my relationship, my intimacy with God be? You know, because I think it's where heaven and earth meets, is mm-hmm. God's Word. You know, there's prayer, there's other things, but God's Word, and so I'm thinking, man, I 
wow, I don't care whether there's, you know, 400 people who can read the language or 40 million, all people need to, because I want Gaspar, who was, you know, in Guatemala, to have an intimate relationship. If that's my goal for myself, that's my goal for you. It's, anybody listen to this. My goal is to have an intimate relationship with God. You know, that's my goal for all people on planet Earth. Uh, I just happen to believe that one of the great ways to do that is through God's Word. And so, uh, and again, I had to thank eternally, eternally, you know, Gaspar, I'll get to see him 5,000 years from now. Uh, all my other investments, I ain't going to see yeah. <laughs> 5,000 years from now. So, uh, yeah, it's a new way of thinking. Well, I love how your family has a mission statement, uh, and, and you, you kind of talked about that with, uh, with our group. But for me, one of the things that really kind of struck me was extravagant generosity is really completely against human nature. I mean, if you really think about it, we're born pretty selfish. I mean, I have two boys and I remember when, you know, they're, they're six and eight, but, uh, even just as, as babies, you know, for them, it was a automatically, I didn't have to teach them self and selfishness. They just, they just kind of wanted it. So how, how do you kind of reprogram your brain? How do you, how do you kind of get past that human nature side of being selfish to the complete opposite end of that, which is ex- extravagant generosity? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question. Lots of answers to that, I suppose. One of them that's very personal to our family would be my grandmother. My grandmother was actually a tent revivalist in the 30s, nearly 100 years ago. She pitched her tent, and one night a guy walked in, didn't know whether it was a circus. He didn't know what was in the tent. He walked in, he got saved, and wound up marrying her. And so they wound up co-pastoring little bitty churches had six kids. Of course, this was my dad's mom and dad, and uh, never had more than 50 in their church. So they lived on, you know, just hand to mouth, didn't have a lot. But at the same time, they were widows might givers. I mean, my grandmother, if you gave her a gift, she added up what it was worth and paid tithes on it because she felt that was an increase to her. Wow. You know, so that impacted my dad. So my dad saw that. And then when my grandmother died, she actually said, they're coming to get me. They're coming to get me. And so somehow she saw the angels coming to get her. Really? Now, so when she died, she left nothing. She had nothing to leave with her kids. I mean, she was a poor person her whole life and all that. But yet she died with everything. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And so uh, sometimes we think that who has the most toys. And we leave all that stuff behind. But she had six kids all serving the Lord. All her grandkids served the Lord. My dad became very – my grandmother wanted six preachers. She got five. Five of my, my aunts and uncles, all her preachers, or married preachers, except my dad. But he got the generosity gift. And so, uh, you know, and then in Acts 20 and 35, it tells it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so, again, that's countercultural. It's not the way you think. But, you know, it is scriptural. And then uh, I remember reading a book called Entrepreneurship for Human Flourishing. And it, said, it, made, a, it made a statement. It says, you know, money may buy happiness. And I thought, well, I don't know about that because the people – have the most money aren't always the happiest, but it says, but then it said, if it is linked to charity, those who donate to nonprofits are 43% more likely to say they are very happy than non-givers. Non-givers are three and a half times more likely than givers to say they are not happy at all. And that was a study done by the University of Chicago. So uh, money can buy happiness. You just have to give it away. <laughs> well, I, I love that statistic, especially, uh, you know, for some of the things that we do with the Young Businessmen of Tulsa is we try to uh, create opportunities for our members and uh, people in our community to give back. And so I, I, I'm going to steal that one. I, I Actually, I think I have to quote you twice on it. And then after that, we can we can own it as our own. But uh, 43 yeah, yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. And I took it from uh, – uh, Chris Horse and uh, Peter Greer in their book, Entrepreneurship 
for Human Flourishing, which is a great book yeah. about business people needing, we need jobs for human flourishing, but jobs who see themselves as not just uh, available for money, but also spiritually, spirit, mind, and body, you know, so employers can be huge, you know, for the kingdom and stuff. So Entrepreneurship for Human Flourishing is a great little booklet. It's almost like a booklet. It's not even a full-size book, but it has some great thoughts for uh, especially the business community. Fantastic. Well, I, I want to circle back on one thing. I, I know that you said that your grandmother was really kind of the driving force behind the generosity, the extravagant generosity. So that passed down to your to your father and then ultimately passed down to you. So how how do you kind of maintain that? So obviously your, your mother's or your grandmother's like a patriarch and she's really kind of set this precedent. But it seems like as you get further and further into the generations that some of that impact can be lost. So how have you guys been able to keep that extravagant generosity so strong? Yeah, I think one of the things that we try to talk to our kids and, you know, if you use symbols or images, it always helps. We've always talked about the business and we have several businesses here, but Hobby Lobby is by far the largest business. And we kind of compare it to trees, you know, so every time we open another store, we plant another tree, right? So right. we've got 740 trees out there now, you know, well, in the world's eyes, you know, we're the owners of that, but we've always believed that what Psalms 24 and 1 says is that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, mm-hmm. the world and all who live in it. So we're stewards not owners. So, well, what does that look like? Okay, yes, technically we're the, we are the owners, and we're the one that has to pay taxes. The government says, no, you own it. You know, it's a privately held company, Hobby Lobby is. But what happens when we die? What happens when we pass it down? And so what we're able to tell our kids is we say, we see it kind of like we're stewards of this forest. Now there's 740 trees in this forest, and when we die someday, we're not giving you the trees. We're not giving you any of the branches off of the tree, but you can get the fruit. Fruit grows on all these trees. So if you're uh, a store clerk, you get paid $15.35 an hour. That's our minimum wage now. Now, if you're the president of this company, you get paid better than that. You get more fruit off that tree based on that. So we are, we're not going to pass down wealth. We're going to pass down opportunity. So in our estate planning and all that stuff, our kids know that this, this has all been put into a trust. And so if someday our family's just not retailers anymore, 100 years from now, business, then 90% of that uh, will be given away, and so they will not benefit personally from that. And the other 10% will be kind of put into a fund for any what we call widows or orphans in our family, somebody that just had a need or whatever. We don't think the government should have to take care of our family. And so, But it would be if you're a working, able person, you need to go to work. We're not passing down wealth. We're passing down opportunity, not wealth. And so uh, we, we're just growing this fruit. Yes, it provides for our family, and the Lord's provided for our families very, very well. But really what we enjoy doing is giving the rest of the fruit away. And so uh, for us to be able to, at this point, we're giving half our profits away each year. It's just fun. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, we give once a month. There's seven of us. Gen 1, my parents, and Gen 2, there's seven in that. Gen 3 gets to attend that meeting. So someday they'll be in our shoes. They'll be giving the money away. And then we actually give a budget to Gen 3. So there are uh, 10 uh, Gen 3s in our family, and about seven of those have married. So they have to come together, and they have a budget that they give away together because someday they're going to have to learn to give away together. So my mom, my dad, you know, he's a patriarch. He gets one vote. Uh, I get one vote. And so, but someday we'll pass those votes down to Gen 3. So right now they're getting the joy of coming together and giving to things that they, they enjoy giving to, which sometimes are different than what we do at Gen 1 and Gen 2. And obviously they're different budget levels. And many things they do are more local. They're things they can volunteer and be a part of. And so, uh, so anyway, we enjoy seeing them get excited about uh, partnering with ministries. Well, I love the practical application 
to kind of almost, like you said, budgeting to give to Gen 3 for them to give away because I kind of, as you were talking about that, I was kind of thinking about my, when I was first kind of like reflecting on tithing, like I was, as I was uh, growing up, my parents kind of instilled that into me. And then I kind of, as I got a little bit older and I started, you know, getting jobs and everything else, it, it, that, that tithe became a struggle for me. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I was just like, oh man, you know, I could do a lot with that 10%. And so I started kind of not necessarily doing a pros cons, but I was, I was almost like breaking it down in my head. Like, okay, is this something I really want to do? And, I, and, and it was a, it was a major decision point for myself to say, is this something that I'm going to continue the habit of doing? And as I was kind of looking at it, I started reflecting on all the different things like in my life in terms of, you know, my prosperity, the where I was at and everything else. And then I started thinking about specific instances where I would actually tithe or I'd give an offering and not necessarily, like, I don't know that I uh, like recognize it right away, but I would look at that moment. And then I would lo- also look at the moment when what I was trying to accomplish happened and go, you know what, every time I did that, there was me giving something up. And so for me, at first, it was me doing it because, you know, that's what my parents told me to do. But when I finally got to the point where I was able to reflect back on it and look and say, you know what, I can't say to myself that tithing doesn't work or giving does not work because I've been able to see it happen in my life. And so I'm hoping, and I'm sure that that's your goal too, is that 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 third generation will start to see that on their own with the budget, but ultimately gets to the point where they just do it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That was a concern. We thought about giving a budget to each of them. We thought, well, that's too much like of an entitlement for what you just said, but they have a budget they have to give together collectively. So what happens is they're having to learn because it's not easy to give collectively sometimes because sometimes one cousin wants this, another cousin wants that. And so, but you're right. They have to own it on their own. You're exactly right. And just because we do that doesn't mean they will. It's a process for them. But, you know, we just want the river to be flowing downstream and that they have to, spl- they have to almost swim upstream not to be a giver. You know, yeah. <laughs> and they hear us talk about, no, 90 is greater than 10, 100. You know, they're like, no, no, you guys are math guys. 90 is not greater than 100. Oh, yes, it is. When you pay your tithes, you, you can do more with the 90 than you can with the 100, you know, and stuff like that. So they hear that, but they're, they live in this world and they, they have their temptations. And uh, as you say, we hope someday uh, that they can own that uh, because you can give money away, other people's money away and not feel that. But some, when it's your money that you've made, you've earned, and you're trying to figure out, oh, man, I got a car bill, I got a house bill, what am I going to do here? It's a, it's a whole other deal, as you've articulated well. Yeah, well, I love how you talked about, I think it was Psalms 24-1, where you said that the, uh, everything, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything therein. And that's really kind of speaking to, and I think you even said it, the stewardship mentality. And uh, yeah. One of the questions I had for you, and that is, you know, obviously to have the stewardship mentality, you have to, you have to recognize that first of all, God is in control, and second of all, you got to be able to trust God to really uh, kind of give Him that control. But also, on the same time, it's it's really freeing to know that it's not necessarily all on you. Like it's really God's plan, and you are a steward. You're following His plan, and you're using kind of His guidance to make the decisions that you make. And obviously I, I think you talked about like Hobby Lobby as a company is like a $4 billion a year company. And so for me, like trying to get my head around that, I'm like, how do you make decisions with that kind of uh, responsibility that goes into it? Does the stewardship mentality really kind of play into that to where you're able to sleep at night and you're not necessarily worried about everything that's going on because you've really essentially given it all to God? 
Yeah, yeah, and that was a process for our family, too. It was in 1984 that my dad called the family all together to his house for a meeting, which has only happened twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once was in 1984, and that was to tell us that he did not think Hobby Lobby would be able to continue. You know, we'd oh. had a oil bust here in Oklahoma, Penn Square Bank had gone under, the first large bank ever, and so, and we had just gotten into a lot of stuff that wasn't our core business, and so uh, we just... We just, my dad didn't see how ends would meet, you know, and it was during that process, and he always thought kind of God owned the business, but it was kind of a, during a prayer. He was underneath his desk. He'd go underneath his desk and pray every day that he said, all right, God, it's all yours. And he said, he felt like the Lord said, oh, yeah, great. Now that it's about to fail, you give it to me, you know, and stuff. And so, but it was at that moment of just realizing it never was ours. It was always God's, but it was to the point that... It wasn't worth keeping anyway, you know, that yeah. my dad was able to release it, as you can see, symbolically and stuff. And so that kind of lives strong in our family. It's one of those stories that my kids hear, you know, because, again, it was one of those meetings that – because I worked there, my brother worked there, my sister worked there, my brother-in-law worked there. All of our livelihoods, all those who worked in my family worked at Hobby Lobby. So we were getting ready to all of us lose our job at the same time had it not moved forward. And my dad felt the weight of that. And for whatever reason, God moved upon me, and I said, now, Dad, we're not looking to you. God God's in control of this, you know, which really helped my dad because it took some of that responsibility you just talked about off, you know, to realize that that's where we're at. And so, so since then we've seen that and we've been tested. It wasn't, uh, but three or four years ago we called a meeting. This time it was at my house. My dad called it, but it was at my house. And it was about a decision that uh, our country made that asked us to pay for four drugs that we felt like uh, took life, you know, and we, we, we believe that, you know, Life begins at conception. That's a deep religiously held belief that we have. You know, and our country has honored that for years and years, but all of a sudden they were going to ask us to pay for drugs that we felt like was going to take life. And so we as a family had to come together, and uh, so my dad did. So like I said, we only met twice. And so we said, you know what, if, if, if we don't do this, the, the fine is going to be so much that we can't stay in business. You know, they're just going to fine us so much per day. You can't pay, you know, a couple million dollars fine a day and then stay in business. Um, and so, he, but my dad wanted to hear what everybody was at. We have Gen Three. How do they feel about it? And you know, one of one of the family members says, "Oh yeah, we went like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they win the fire, and the fourth man showed up. God will show up. You know." And <laughs> one of the Gen one of the Gen Three members raised their hand and said, "You know, Uncle Mart made a movie called End of the Spear, and it was about five guys. They were missionaries. They kind of went in this people group, and they all got speared and died." <laughs> You know, uh, that way. so yeah, sometimes the story ends a little different. They're not all hero stories and stuff. But in the end, we said, you know what, this is God's company, and we just feel like taking life is not something we can do. And so, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah, we will. We'll allow, you know, we had to sue our government. We didn't want to do that. We love the country we live in. We love uh, the opportunities that we've had here. But, you know, we were just put to the point that we had to choose between life and our government. And and so we allowed our name to be used to um, in that lawsuit, and for whatever reason, God allowed that one to go all the way to Supreme Court, and uh, fortunately, we won. But either way, we could go, we could have gone through and been victorious. We could have gone through and lost. Uh, but either way, God, we felt like it could provide for us and, and do whatever He wanted to. So yeah, I take a lot. Of, so people said, "Man, did you worry about that?" And Dad said, "No. Once we made the decision that this was life, then it was up to the lawyers. We turned it over to them, and they had to do it. But I didn't lose any sleep over it. You know, even though it would have been a, a huge deal because we won five four, it could have been five four the other way. You know, yeah. and been 
quite a different story for us. But uh, but by not feeling like you own something and you're going to lose something you own and you're a steward, then uh, it does help you have different emotions and thoughts about the process. Well, as you're kind of talking about that, I'm just thinking to myself, like, like it's always good to look back at it and kind of say, you know, you know, this was this and this was that and everything else. But I'm sure there was still a bit of a struggle when the whole thing was going on. I know you said you didn't lose any sleep, but you know, what, what were some things that you said to yourself or your family did to really encourage each other while you're going through that? Cause that, that was a, a, that was a long process and you guys lost a couple times before you finally won. So what were some of the things that you guys were able to actually do to kind of encourage yourself and, and kind of keep yourselves on the right track with that and, and not get discouraged? Yeah. And I think it was just a lot of it did have to do with just that mentality that we had gotten to of this stewardship versus ownership. And, uh, and we just, you know, there's a verse in Daniel that says that our God will deliver. You know, we had that posted on a billboard right across the street. <laughs> you know, <laughs> our God is able to deliver, you know. And so whether it's through the fire or not through the fire, you know. And so, um, but, um, and so again, it really was. And then we just went back to work. I mean, it's a long process. It's not like it all happens in three weeks. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. You don't know what's going on. So at some point you just say, you know what? I can't do anything about that. Yeah. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I can't, I can't can't argue in front of the Supreme Court. Sure, we had to answer questions. We were thinking, well, what if we lose? Is there another creative way we could do that? And we had, you know, a team here doing that. So again, we just said, you know, the best thing we can do is just go be the best business we can. The more money we make, the more we can give away. Um, the more we think about this, it just we can't. We, it's just out of our hands. So when something's out of your hands, you can only do so much. So yes, we strategized. We got the best lawyers we could. They would sit down and talk to us at different times. Uh, but again. Uh, um, for as stressful of a situation as it could have been, had we taken the ownership position, it wasn't near that, you know. And so, um, so we were fortunate. Again, we just—it's a lot. That's a part of that's part of faith. Part of faith is stepping out of the boat, not knowing whether you can walk on that water or not. You know, uh, you can worry about it. Okay, am I going to weigh too much? You know, and all this kind of stuff. But uh, but God had taken us through these other situations. I think you know, in the past, we thought the business we were going to lose it. We turned it over to God. We 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 said, okay, here's our estate planning. You know, kids, you can't have any money. There's no there's no wealth coming to you someday. You're not going to be a multimillionaire someday. You're going to be whatever you earn. Um, all of those things I think help prepare us for the for the when the Supreme Court situation came, so that again we didn't have to go through biting our fingernails every day. Yeah, I, re I remember in the forum you talked about how they kind of started drilling down, trying to figure out what your motives were. And they were trying to say, well, you don't like women or you don't like this or you don't like that. And, and they finally kind of came to the realization, like after they jumped to all those different conclusions, it was just you're living your faith. And I think that was probably one of the I would have taken that as a huge compliment that, you know, that they finally saw that your motives were not to be malicious, to, to be hurtful, to, to really forward any kind of agenda other than we are so rooted in our faith that we are willing to take a stand. And I, I, I think a lot of people are, are not necessarily to that point yet. So I want to first of all say, you know, thank you for doing that. And I think it's awesome that you do that. But at the same time, I, you know, when you hear things like that, you just sit there and kind of stand back and say, okay, man, I, I really need to keep aspiring, keep pushing towards, you know, building my relationship with God. Cause I don't know that I could do that right now. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that just kind of sit back and go, you know, how do you, how do you truly get to that level? Yeah. And I think it's just like tithing. You do it when you're, when it's small, 
You right. know, my grandmother gave not when she was making a million. She never made a million dollars in her entire life. You know, she, <laughs> she didn't have any money. And I think that numbers actually show the more money you make, the less you're going to give. So if you don't give when you have $100, you're not going to give when you have $100,000. And it's the same thing here, I think. If you're going to compromise on little decisions, then when the big ones come, you're not going to be able to stand. But I think, you know, when you win little victories, you know, and you, and you give, you pay tithes when you're making $100, you know, uh, then God honors that, you know. And then it's easier for you to give later because you saw him provide at the $100 level. But if you don't do it at the $100 level, like I say, people don't get more generous. They get more stingy, actually, yeah. as they make money. So if you find a generous giver, I bet you'll find out, for the most part, if you go back in history, they did it when the numbers were $100. They didn't wait until uh, the numbers got big. And I think it's the same thing on the faith journey. I think God took us through several things in our company, challenging decisions that we made closing on Sundays. We used to be open Sundays. We closed on Sundays. That's financially not a good decision. There's no consultant that'll say you're going to make more <laughs> money closing on that seventh day. You see what I'm saying? But it was a it was a conviction of ours, you know, and so we took it and we went through and we saw God provide through that, you know, because that was a risk at, at that time for us. And so um, I, I don't think God ever, but you know, I don't think Daniel went to Lions Den. That wasn't his first test. <laughs> Daniel had a lot of tests along the way. So I just encourage people, you know, whatever God puts before you, be sure to live that life of integrity there. And we're all, we're all tempted, you know, to do just little things, to cheat here or you know, whatever it is, or, or, or just, you know, to not quite tell the truth, but we found, man, do it on the little things, and then actually when you get to the bigger things, it's easier. The harder ones are the littler ones. That's where Satan attacks you, is at the small things. If you don't pay tithes on the little things, you don't have faith in the little things, he's got you won, because you're, you're definitely not going to do it when things get big. But if you can win those little battles, then you're going to win the big battles later, because you'll have walked that step of faith. Well, I love I love that you talked about those those tests and those trials because everybody goes through those, and I think that a lot of people really look at them of you know why me or you know why why is this happening or what did I do or those kinds of things, and I and I love looking at it from from the perspective of that those little trials and those little tests that you're dealing with right now are ultimately preparing you for when you do have more responsibility and you do have more authority so that you can ultimately overcome in the bigger stage and you're really proving yourself on the smaller stage. I love the quote, you can't have a triumph without a test. You don't have a platform yeah, to, to uh, ultimately say, you know, hey, I'm here, I'm able to overcome this uh, because of God, because, you know, you look at all the, all the things that really kind of uh, come up against you. I mean, going against the government, that's one of those things where you look at that and go, wow, that, that feels impossible. But, <laughs> but, but when you come back and you're able to look back after that happens, I mean, that's one of those things where you can ultimately just not point to yourself, but point up and say, you know, that's not me, that, that's God. And that's, that's how big my God is. My God has the ability to take care of me no matter, no matter what tr- test or trial that I come across. Yeah, and it's just, you know, uh, every morning I get up and I read, uh, ver- I read some verses and I pick a verse for the day, and what you just said reminded me of my, today, my verse today, and it was Second Timothy 2 and 15, and I'm reading the New Living, but I, every morning I compare it in five different translations, and I happen to like the amplified version of Second uh, Timothy 2 and 15. It says, study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, that's what you just talked about, <laughs> yeah. a, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handing and skillfully teaching the word of truth. That's why I say this book is alive, you know, I mean, it's just what you talked about. But if we will we'll be approved, we'll be tested by trial, but um, we'll come out on the other side and God will be there for us, which is what you just mentioned, so... 
Well, that's fantastic. I, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of, uh, kind of give back to our group. I mean, a lot of times, you know, when we talk, when we hear about people like you in the position that you're in, it, it's almost like we, 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 we put you on a pedestal and we feel like, man, these guys are untouchable. These guys are unreachable. And, and I love how open that you've been. And I love how you really, you know, have a desire to give back to that next generation. And I think that goes back to that that extravagant giving. So I want to say thank you for, for taking the time to speak to our group. Thank you for the coming and actually meeting with us in person. I just kind of want to turn it over to you and, and just kind of let, let you kind of say something to the group and, you know, whatever's on your heart. What do you want to leave us with today uh, as we kind of move forward into 2017? Well, I love to pray for the group, and I think I, and I usually like to pray my scripture today. So I think I'll just pray the scripture that we just read, the Second Timothy 2 and 15, if that's all right, Evan. Yeah, and so, uh I appreciate what you're doing to mentor and, uh, and and study and be eager and ready. So that's what you're doing today. You know, if we listen to other people, I listen to other people. People have come along and helped me along the way. None of us can make it by ourselves. And so, Lord, I just thank you for Evan. I thank you for each person who's listened to this. And I just pray that we would be steady and be eager to do our utmost to present ourselves to you approved. Lord, help us to make the little decisions along the way, those that we get tested in, the, in the, those trials. Lord, because we know that as we win those little victories, you'll help us during the vi- big victories. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help us correctly analyze and divide the Word, which is your Scripture, Lord. You've given us your Word. You've given us your plan. And so I just pray for each of those, Lord, to take your Scripture and read it, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and, and guide them in the step that you would have them. And, Lord, that even when there's dark days, that they know that you never leave them, that you love them, that you go beside them, and that, Lord, we want to do this. And we just pray that each of us would do this for your glory. And we just thank you for the health and the opportunities you've given us. Amen. Amen. Well, Mark, thank you for taking the time, and uh, we appreciate all that you're doing with Hobby Lobby, Mardell, and everything else. So uh, with that, just remember, guys, only you can be you. So be the best you that you can possibly be. We'll see you guys on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.